Welcome to the Awakening Podcast. You can find all our episodes on awakeningpodcast.org. We're also on BitChute. And I was kicked off YouTube, but I've got my personal channel. Some of them can go up. I'm hoping this one will be okay, so we'll see later on. And uh, my guest has actually just recently been on the Speaking Podcast. It's episode number 207, and I'd encourage you to go in to learn a lot more. Basically, he's a musician, but he's done fantastic in business with amazing results, like adding quarter of a billion to the bottom line. So he's a guitarist in Sonic Octane, and he's worked with, is it Verizon? Is yes, that- that's correct. So that's why today, based on our conversation, that we're going to talk about 5G, and he's got a lot of experience to give credibility to some stuff that I'm going to say as well. So please welcome to the show, Robbie Zies, but also as the artist, Robbie Phoenix. Hey, hey, good morning. (laughs) I know it's very early for you, so I thank you for actually doing this. Yeah, it's actually Denver Mountain Time. So when we're talking to you, Mr. Roy, this is what happens to people in the morning. They're like, they become like little bears, like blue bears. (laughs) (laughs) This is a famous statue in downtown Denver, and it was gifted to me. So there we are. This is me awakening, just getting up this morning for you and your your audience. I suppose awakening for the Awakening podcast, you know, it kind of goes in line. So I suppose... (laughs) You might, with which your kind of experience, you might just kind of give a bit of introduction so people will kind of understand why you'd be suitable for what we're discussing. Sure, sure. So, you know, back in the day uh, when I started my career, I was top salesperson nationwide at Verizon Business in their mid-market enterprise. And then I was interviewing and having a passion to interview to transition into an engineering role. And back then, it was kind of like get in line because there were a lot of super intelligent, highly experienced, tenured people in those roles. So we're talking an average of probably 20 plus years in that organization. I was only in the company a few years at that point. So it was two interview rounds, and eventually I made it in. I made it in the doors as what they called a sales engineer for the regional technical support group of what was pre-merger referred to as Bell Atlantic, what became Verizon Business. So with that, I was named in sales engineer one. So for a period of time of about a year plus, I was working in a call center supporting the direct sales teams on a number of applications and, and learning. And then I was eventually promoted to SE2. And that was in part for having responsibility to grow the Garden City, New York, uh, sales office. So I was commute, super commuting between what was then Exton, Pennsylvania and uh, Garden City, New York, and then ultimately promoted for regional responsibility that led from New York down to Virginia, what they called their mid-Atlantic region plus New York uh, for a period combined of nearly six years. So I have a, a knowledge, a working knowledge and some architecture of telecommunication systems. I also have a background in applied uh, mathematics uh, as part of my course of study uh, in my undergrad and graduate degree combined. So, yeah. Excellent. And I suppose the research that I have done just, uh, you know, a lot of times it's, it's guests that I've get on, but I read a lot of books. I read about a hundred books a year and 
also things that I see myself. So when it became kind of, I suppose, where I was, the radars were coming up is when I saw him chopping down all the trees. It happened in Sheffield. I saw a lot of people complaining about it in the UK. Then they started doing it in Ireland, cutting down all perfect trees. And Mm. then one guy had a video and he was saying, look at this. So a tree that hadn't been cut and half it was dead right next to the tower. Wow. Yeah. So they have the light switch. So that's what they're doing as well. And a lot of people don't even realize that they're putting this technology into light switches. Right. Right. Well, this is the thing, right? Like you talk about technology and, and look, there, there are factors like environmental factors, oddly, even like power efficiency. And then you look at things like, you know, cost of a distribution system. So in, in telecommunications, there are one thing that you would know for sure is that to scale in this business is a very high fixed cost barrier to entry to be a, a even a player in the marketplace. You need nearly a billion dollars to get in to be of any consequence, at least at scale in a country like the United States. So with that in mind, you know, there's there's a lot of these uh, factors that go into the decisions to to build distribution networks based on cost, practically speaking. So, and imagine the number of networks that a carrier in fact has. So Verizon Wireless is one entity within Verizon corporate overall. And then you have Verizon Business where I sat in the landline division that was interconnecting with the cell towers and the packet switch data running ethernet relay services in between. So there's a lot of this cost dynamic stuff that goes on. And it's no doubt that ultimately when you have wireless distribution systems that may be more efficient to propagate or push communications between towers more efficiently or with a higher platform, let's say from 4G to 5G as an example, you best believe that all the carriers are gonna jump in because they want to be the more forward generation platform that's more accretive to shareholder value potentially, that's likely more accretive to return on investment if in fact it is more efficient as a distribution system. And that's how these decisions at a very simple level tend to be made. And I, I do recall having worked with a couple of people in corporate strategy advising from a wireline division where I sat, hey, look, if you're looking to integrate and do cell tower backhaul services for these new 5G towers, here's the implication to where we can share costs to get and build to the enterprise where I sat selling services to more mid-market enterprises at the time. And we would give them and share intelligence between divisions to help make those decisions, actually. Ironically, though, to your point, you know, from a technology standpoint, some of these cell towers are not bueno. They're not good for the environment in another sense, which is you're emitting very high power over a wireless transmission, and it's not always good for Mother Nature. And when it comes to cellular structures, not only organically in terms of trees, but most certainly in terms of humankind and animal kind, this may not always be the best thing, especially at closer ranges uh, that, that could be rather disruptive to the cellular body. And with the 5G, that's kind of like the millimeter, millimeter wave, so it can go through walls and stuff. But on like, because the, the, the Sprite and the different ones in the States, are they all publicly traded companies? And the reason I'm asking is because I've seen with 
Echo, uh, BlackRock and Vanguard and a few of the other big boys, they're kind of, they're owning Pepsi, they're owning Coke, so they're, they don't really care who's doing what. Is it the same in the telecommunications industry? It sounds like when you say big boys in your context in Ireland, it's like conglomerates, right? That are diversified companies whose lines of business are wholly owned PNL or subsidiaries that are separate from a financial standpoint, whose services are distinct. In the United States, if I'm understanding that correctly, Roy, uh, that is not the case, although the carriers are diversified, make no mistake about it. So a company like T-Mobile, right, which merged with other carriers, basically is diversified because they have an interest not only in online advertising, which is like their T-Mobile Tuesday app, and the partnerships that pull through with that relationship. So for example, NASCAR, uh, or the Major League Baseball team they had a traditional advertising relationship with. On the other end of their business, they're operating as a carrier, right? As a wireless carrier, for the most part, if not entirely, uh, other than a core MPLS uh, backbone. And in that case, it's a distinct business, right? You've got cell towers, which are you know in the tens of thousands, certainly. And then you've got backhaul transmission services that are land-based or terrestrial-based. So those are two distinct businesses within the business. However, they're not quite as diversified, it sounds like, as it would be in the case of Ireland in terms of just radically different uh, platforms and P&Ls. And with like the towers that are put around in, because I've heard of farmers and their cows dropping dead. And like I know in Germany, when they've done a 5G test, there's something like 298 or something like that yeah 298 birds just dropped dead from the sky like with your experience why did you see a lot of this kind of stuff happening that it was kind of okay say nothing just keep going well i definitely seen some evidence of concern like you know my drive to work every single day for nearly eight years driving from where i lived at the time northeast philadelphia into exton pennsylvania round trip is about 102 miles and I used to see these cell towers literally just, I mean, it looked so ridiculous. You would know it's almost like the military, you know, when they go in their fatigues and they're hiding in like a brushy area and you can just tell like they're there, right? It's like they made this faint attempt to look as though they're not there with the fatigues and maybe a little like fatigue drop cloth. Basically, they pour over a, a anti-tank ballistic battery it's the same thing with the cell towers. Like they're trying to be, you know, non-blight, um, low profile, uh, maybe even obtuse in terms of landscape. So they'd be co-located on top of buildings, let's say, or co-located on a tower nearby buildings. And you're just driving by down the highway. You're going 50, 60 miles an hour and it's right there. You cannot miss it. And it's not even perhaps I would wonder about 50 feet at the very top or maybe 50 to 100 feet in some of these towers above where humankind is there, literally tens of thousands have done hundreds of thousands of commuters every day. So just from the experience of driving to work, you could tell in some cases what they call these co-location arrangements for cell towers were not in ideal settings or in ideal locations, which drove me to start to read about this and, and ask myself, why are they upgrading all this technology? What's behind all this? What are the economics behind it? What are the use cases behind it? And what are, if anything, who's studying about this? Who's who's talking about P 
picocells and microcells and what that does to the human anatomy or what that does to any cellular structure. And lo and behold, I found it rather abundantly difficult at the time. And this is going back into the early 2000s, all the way up until about 2011, as I served at Verizon, you could hardly find any vetted, peer-reviewed, published articles on this. And it, it, it really got to a point, you wondered why it was basically being buried or suppressed. And of course, years later, here we are now in the 2020s, and we're seeing a lot of evidence out there in field studies of people who have brain cancer and people who have problems with motor logic skills because they're being exposed to these rays in a way that we all know <clears throat> is not good for one, ultimately. And like, you know, you mentioned that they were trying to hide them in the cities now because I'm just so conscious of it. I see in the shopping malls, they're hidden in the sign. The worst I saw, because I know you're a man of faith, is they were all around churches. And uh, yeah, on schools, which is like children are very susceptible to this. This is so dangerous for children. But on top of hospitals where we're trying people trying to recover from cancers and different ailments, and they're in them locations, which is the one places they shouldn't be. They shouldn't be at all. And I'll tell you what else. I was in Las, Las Vegas years ago trying to negotiate a, a, a product deal for one of my bands I was in at the time. And I remember distinctly there was a gentleman who was super, super experienced in landing commercial deals for his artists. And he made a comment to me. He said, you know, I'm, I'm working with so-and-so who's a very famous um, kind of like jazz rock player, by the way. And, and, and he mentioned the name. And he said, you know, this celebrity is making more off a cell tower agreement placed on their land than they'll ever make performing. They'll ever make off a product endorsement. It literally is a rental agreement for a portion of his property that a cell tower sits. And the, the cell tower companies combined are paying him millions, literally, just to have this tower on his property. So the incentives on the economics behind this is very, very high. When you think about that, I mean, you don't even have to work to make a living. You don't lift a finger and the tower's there. And kind of in a way, if you have a large enough property in a way, what do you care? Or if it's property co-located near a highway is another example. You're going to go, well, I don't really think I'll have a right of easement to develop this side of my property. It's facing a noisy, polluted highway. Again, what do I care, right? And for churches, that's just heartbreaking to think about. You know, we're talking about rays of radiation that are so much higher in power than the typical 3G platform that we all knew and grew up with, right? We're talking about 100 plus on radiation effect on the human body than it would be otherwise on the lower generation platforms. So you just got to ask yourself common sense. You know, you go into an x-ray uh, at a physician's office or it's an MRI or whatever that scan might be. And aren't they putting lead on your, you know, private area, basically, with a giant apron? There's a reason for that. And these cell towers are really no different, ultimately, because they are high power. And guess what? They're charging multiple towers per cell phone connection. And think of that. It's a dual or tri-band system. So you've got multiple towers in a, a geographic area now pushing this out. And what do you think your cell phone does? Your cell phone is receiving and transmitting cellular packet data 
which means it's also got to be transmitting some level of radiation, whether it's in your ear, if you're listening, or if you're on your speakerphone, it's very close to your living human body. So ultimately, one has to have caution with this. And when you think of school children or parishioners in a church, you know, that's just not cool. Like ultimately, I would urge the, 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 the leaders of those organizations to think again and to maybe ask the cell companies to step it back and maybe even ask the regulators to take a closer look at the etiological impacts of this, meaning the, the body, the health, and maybe put some pragmatic frameworks in place and policy that say, you can't put this near school children. You know, you just simply cannot do that. And it's just like common sense again, when you think about it. And I suppose just to kind of go back a few layers, because sometimes people, they just assume government have your back. There's no way it can be bad. But let's look at, say, microwave ovens, right? Because they were banned in Russia because they're not safe in uh, 1976. It was garbage off in 91, I think, kind of said, yeah, it's okay. But I think, you know, what he did to Russia was kind of showing who who's in our pocket he was in. But if you look at the damage it does, so I've seen one test where they were boiling the water in in the, the microwave and then letting it cool down and feeding the plants. The plant that was given the microwave water just disintegrated within about 10 days. And what I say to people is, like I done this test with a, with a few, and you put the, you put your phone inside the microwave and get your partner or your friend or whoever to phone you, and it shouldn't <laughs> ring. It should not sure. ring, but right. 90% of them did. And that is scary for a few reasons. One, one it's leaking in the room, but two, a child... And you've probably, you know, you might say I've seen that yourself in life. They just stare in front of the microwave because it's so cool. Right. And yes. there's people have got blind because of that. Same with a pregnant woman is so dangerous. And that's just a simple thing. And now the same kind of technology is open on top of buildings. Correct. No. And think about the premise behind a microwave, why it's safe is because there's that special material that they're regulated, they're required to wrap around. And, and certainly as children, you know, because it's a bit obscured, you're actually more intrigued. So yes, I recall even as a child looking inside the microwave to see that little dish rotating around and, and wow, something's warming up and it's, well, it's not hot. So how's that working? And of course it's at a subatomic level. When you think about the, the atoms moving around quicker and quicker, well, what do you think that's gonna do to your body? And take it a step further. Think about the microwave industry, to your point. It's an excellent example. They're regulated to be safe for only a period of time. There's something in the, in the equipment world, which everyone knows in the router world, in the cell transmission world, and certainly in the microwave industry, of serviceable life. And what that means is basically there's a period of time when you buy it off the shelf that they're obligated to basically make it safe within a parameter of testing and that includes a period of time that includes common typical use cases and think about when that serviceable life period ends well guess what i have a friend of mine very close friend of mine who used to walk around almost like sully mcfly right in back to the future he'd have this device and i was just looking for this because i have one very similar to it in my studio here that basically tests for radiation and gamma rays and all this stuff. And it's just like, it looks like, 
Well, it kind of looks like a device kind of like this. This happens to be an audio recorder, by the way. It's a Zoom H6. But ultimately, what it is, is it's testing for a disruption in the field where that energy is coming out and it's coming out of that device, whether it's a microwave or whatever else. And sure enough, he showed me a video. It was a very simple process. He just clicked the selection bucket and it was a digital display. And literally you could see the radiation coming out of the microwave and it was at unhealthy levels. The microwave was about eight years old. <clears throat> now let's step this back, Roy. Let's, let's just be pragmatic as consumers that we are in the modern world that we live, which is a, you know, a mixed capitalist system, certainly for profit businesses that are out there competing for all this. And you buy a, a new house and I happen to be living in a, in a house here that was built as a new construction. So you go into their finishing room once you make an agreement for sale. And now they're going to tack on all these fancy things like lighting fixtures. And where do you put the, you know, the power outlets in the house, et cetera. It's, Super cool, right? It's just a lot of fun. So you go to the other side of their finishing room and now they're starting to talk about appliances. Well, you can buy their toaster oven or their refrigerator for four times the retail price if you're so intentioned to do so, because it's all convenient. You roll it into your mortgage payment, really. And then you get to the point about the microwave oven. Now imagine these builders are probably building thousands of properties a year if they're even a mid-sized company, which they were. And Meritage Home happened to have built a lot of the properties here in my neighborhood. Now, they don't sit around having microwaves waiting to ship out the minute a property is built. And they just pop it in within a month or two. And you're off to possessing your home. And it's a beautiful microwave. And you know it's relatively new vintage. No, that's not what happens. What happens is there are staging facilities. And they may have a contract to have a microwave that's been sitting in a warehouse for a year to three years, in fact, before it ever gets to your home. So you've got a serviceable life issue on one end of the equipment being specified to be safe for a period of time. And you've already got a number of years lapsing in that time period before it ever even gets installed into your new home. And now you've got your uses on top of that. Is it a high traffic area? Do you have children? Are there multiple spouses on the property? Uh, are you coffee drinkers? You know, all these different factors go into how that microwave oven is used and ultimately how much radiation over time is going to be leaking or essentially pouring through that lead screen that is required in that device. And our house is nearly, I'd say, about nine years old now. And if you look in the microwave, you can open it up. And in some countries, you're required or the equipment manufacturers are required to show the year of manufacture. And a lot of the pro-consumer sites out there say that your microwave shouldn't be more than eight years old, or in some cases, six years old. So I'm sitting on a microwave in my home today that is probably three years plus over the spec that is typically recommended. <laughs> now, again, if we had younger children and we were heating formula, God forbid, or if we have two spouses that are coffee drinkers, and today, by God's grace, we have one, <laughs> but you get the idea. If I was a tea drinker and my wife was a coffee drinker, we had no other way to heat our water quickly in the morning to get out the door to work. You could see very quickly how these devices will wear over time and through high use. And it's just not safe. Ultimately, it's not safe. These, these nerds 
Sully McFly types of the world actually had it right. And, you know, I used to kind of poke fun at my friend for doing this. Yet now I realize seeing around me, I'm in my early 50s and I'm seeing friends of mine with cancer out of nowhere. Some people who are supremely healthy, better habits than myself, even they'll work out every day nearly. They have impeccable diets and they're wondering what's going on. And just on the microwaves, I saw that for a blood transfusion, they normally have to heat up the blood and someone, I don't know what their IQ was, but not very high because they used the microwave to heat up the blood and the person died. Yeah. So like, you know, just that just shows itself. But even going back even another layer, because it's something that I didn't realize. I bought the wireless uh, earphones and what I've... Found out is that the information doesn't go from the phone to both earphones and back down. It goes up to one across and back down. So they're actually very dangerous as well. And most people don't know that. Yes. And this is another thing about the communications and equipment manufacturers that I wonder why they're not regulated a little bit more, let's say, transparently, right? Because that's a big word, really. But when you think about it, there's a process called near field technology. Near field technology basically basically means if it's not infrared or Bluetooth, it's some other technology capability that allows one to communicate in near field in close range for a given application. And near field technology was used early on when you were talking about mobile phones being able to communicate directly with Bluetooth with earpieces. And this is a wonderful application for safety on one hand, when you think of the benefits of you don't have to drive and necessarily be looking at your PDA or your cell phone, your mobile phone, and reading a text message, for example, it can automatically transcribe in audio form and push to your ear. Now, granted, you're still distracted driving. Like that's that's a thing, that's a real thing. And it's a real danger and risk on the road, but ultimately it was a better of lesser evils, I suppose. And so near field technology, absolutely to your point, in the case of Bluetooth headphones, and I own a couple of them here in the studio, interestingly enough, although I do not use them frequently, um, they're noise canceling as well. And yes, the Bluetooth can bounce between the two uh, earpieces, and ultimately that can cause a doubling effect of the, the, ray, the, the frequency rays that are bouncing into your body that is exposing you doubly to whatever that is, which is not a good thing. And, and again, it's just common sense. When you go to get an x-ray, what are you wearing? You're wearing a lead apron. <laughs> Do they give you lead aprons for your head when you're wearing a Bluetooth device? Absolutely not. At least I haven't heard of one. Yeah. And I saw one German, I don't know, was he a scientist, but he was actually did all the testing in a car and with the Bluetooth. And it was scary to see what it's doing. But one of the things that, and because I'm actually going to give a lot of the links to the things that I'm mentioning myself, because uh, if they're still there, you know, because, but the Senate, they basically, I think they had Sprite, they had all the top phone companies in, and they admitted there was no health and safety kind of done, which is on 5G, which is terrifying. Yeah, I don't know that I would, I just don't know if I would agree with that, like pro forma. I haven't read your material. It just seems to me like that would be nearly impossible because 
Equipment I actually, I actually saw this. Isn't just I actually saw them being interviewed. So not only did I read it recently, but I remember seeing the video of that. And they were asking them, and they were all. It was like they were all just kind of looking at each other. No. Wow. Yeah. Well, it blows my mind, at least from a U.S. perspective, because of this. Like every device that transmits anything, even on unlicensed spectrum, let's say, where it's kind of relatively free, a public domain spectrum that is commonly used, even those devices have to have a level of certification that would require so that they can receive what is called an FCC or Federal Communications Commission identifier or ID. And that FCC ID is unique to every device that broadcasts. So it just would blow my mind to hear and learn that it, it, in particular in the United States, that their equipment manufacturers scaling their businesses to the tunes of billions of dollars in carrier access equipment that is getting deployed commercially widely in the public domain where an FCC ID wouldn't be required. That would blow my mind. Now they may be denying the fact that they did any studies or that they conducted any research. They may have, uh, let's call it culpable deniability in the fact that maybe they outsourced the research itself through third parties or assigns of third parties, in which case they don't have to necessarily fess up to the fact that they directly commissioned a study. But ultimately those FCC IDs do need to be issued to the equipment manufacturers and in turn uh, deployed in the field ultimately. And so as an engineer, certainly even in Wi-Fi networks, ABGN networks, let's say, or X networks, you, you can see an FCC ID on the backplane of nearly every device it, all one needs to do is simply look for it. It, it tends to be there. Um, but that doesn't mean that the carriers are doing and commissioning the research directly. And it, it just sounds to me kind of the same type of fishy scenario that the big pharma companies have done for decades now as well of outsourcing, believe it or not, their clinical research, their phase three clinical research that once a drug evolves to a point you can study on humans, you can then involve it what they call a phase three clinical trial. And in the contract research organization that picks up that research, they're the ones that are charged for exactly public health yeah. and so on. And so it's it feels to me like it could be that kind of scenario. Exactly, exactly. And like with one of the books that I read a good few years ago, it was The Wheel of Health. And it was basically studying the people that lived the longest in the it's a I think G wrench was the Dr. G wrench and over 80 years ago it was written and basically seeing who was the healthiest people. It was in the Himalayas. People were living to over a hundred and everything. Then they were giving them kind of crappy food and they were all getting cancers, reproductive problems and everything. But when they give the rats, uh, the foods of this, because a rat apparently of two years is equivalent to a human of 50 years. So wow. when they gave them the good food, no reproductive problems, no cancers, no tumors, no nothing when they gave them the crappy food. So ever since I've seen that, I look at any test with rats and I go, well, if they're getting it, every single thing I'm seeing is rats were getting testicular cancer because of the frequencies. They were getting brain tumors and everything. No, but they're okay for us. And it's like, no. And like, if you look at, say, smart meters and like it's 2.4 or 2.5 gigahertz with these things. Like they're all deadly. And I'll give an example. One of my friends here in um he's Argentinian living in Poland. He was he was getting the tintinitis. 
And I know that when they install, like they tell people, oh, you can't do nothing with that. You have it for life and everything, which isn't true. When they install a lot of new apartments, they put all the smart meters. And I've heard of people never having a problem. And as soon as they change the meters, they get it. He moved countries in Spain, gone. Wow. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Just like that. Just like that. And, and this is, again, this is kind of like, where is the public watchdog? There used to be a combination of consumer protection agency and God only knows what else it was. And even inside the government that would be watchdogs around, hey, is this for the public good? Like, where did all that go? I remember growing up, at least I'm a, no, I'm a little older for some in your audience, but I remember growing up in the early to mid 80s as a teenager going, all right, cool, man. There's someone actually looking, not just at the life, serviceable life of a washing machine, let's say, or a radio, they were actually testing for safety. And that was part of their standard, their criteria to go publish on a new product that was being launched. And it almost feels like they're not even there anymore. Like literally when you think about the wide spectrum of threats the human body is under today, and today we happen to be talking about, you know, wireless networks, and, and that can come in the form of Wi-Fi, 2.2.x gigahertz systems, um, LMDS, OFDM. We could go on and on with these whole spectrum of, of wireless services that I used to manage in a portfolio as an engineer at Verizon Business. But then you think about, what about all the rest of that stuff? How about the pollutants in the air, right? How about the stuff that we're, we're literally breathing in, many of us on a daily basis commuting to work, it comes straight through our engine block through a, a really crummy filter that I own BMWs and even those filters, they call them micro filters. They sound like they're doing something, <laughs> but we know better. You can smell the exhaust for Christ's sake. So, you know, you're breathing something in that's not going to be healthy. It's particulate matter that could be carcinogenic. And you just take a look at the broad range of how about additives in our food supply or carcinogens that in fact are tested and certified to be in our watershed systems. And that's a daily test they do all across the United States. And you can pull this data literally online and just take a look at what you're doing to your body. You're playing roulette with it essentially. And there used to be a time when things were a little bit more watched and a little bit more awake and, and, and kind of lived and known. And this is why your podcast is awesome because it's stirring the pot in the community to raise the social discourse and elevate the knowledge. And that's awesome. And like one of the guests that I done in Clark, he, he mentioned something that, and I was kind of, it was my research. I, I had seen him doing a video and I brought it up. It's like the tires, all the, the material coming off the, that's going into the atmosphere and back down again. And nobody's thinking of that. Like you change your tires maybe once a year or whatever it is. But it's like right. just constant toxic stuff going just, everywhere. Go to your tire shop, right? What do you see on their hands? Why are they wearing gloves, some of them? Go look at the floor. Look at the floor, how dirty it is to service an engine or a, a exhaust manifold. I mean, it's so, again, it's, it's startling how common sense it is, how yet as humanity, we've lost our common sense and not quite our way. We're getting there, though. But look at like the toxic streams that exist in places and not picking on any particular country because it's it's just horrible wherever it exists in humanity, certainly. But look in India. 
Look, look at the fact that there are computer systems that are dumped in landfills that are touching water systems and what that toxic waste is doing to the people that live around those estuaries and those watershed systems. And you'll know immediately, it's like, we, we also grew up watching The Simpsons, right? Who likes to be living near a stream or a watershed that has a three-eyed fish, right? And pretty quickly, you get the idea. There's a few things I've seen from The Simpsons that are kind of freaky. It's like from the future, there's no way they could have predicted it. And it's like, what's going on here? One of them was Donald Trump going up the stairs and the person having the sign and it falling. And you're like, how is this even possible? And there's been a few that are kind of, I, I don't know, have you seen them? But it's like, I don't know. Are we living in a simulation? Who knows? There's got to be a, a kind of a rationality that takes charge or takes foot in in humanity here right and i'm not i'm not a super liberal you know and i'm neither super conservative i'm kind of feeling as though i'm intelligent enough to be my own right to be somewhat of a let's say libertarian of sorts uh although i don't always agree in their camp in in ways either but you, you gotta get to a point in humanity where you go look we're obviously all intelligent enough given the ordained freedom that we have to educate and to live a little life experience and to see things around us, to know even at a sentient level what is going on, right? We all know that pollutants are bad for the environment. They're bad for people. They're bad for animals. If they're even bad for plants, you know it's not a good thing, right? And there's got to be balanced frameworks, you know? If you go to developing a technology that's toxic to humanity, why are we even putting it out there? Like, where's the pragmatism that one day as humanity... We live in a Star Trekian world where we've kind of leapfrogged beyond all the stupidity that we've tripped on over the last 200 years of a post-industrial revolution. You know, we know that coal particulates in the atmosphere are bad, right? And we know there's certain offenders in the world that continue to promulgate this technology on a very broad basis for a source of energy. We know that petrochemicals and derivatives like plastic bags we shop with are bad, right? They don't just suffocate like animals or dolphins or whatever, you know, we see it out there in pop culture. We just know it's bad. So why put it out there? Again, we have to get to a point in humanity where that discourse is beyond, where it's beyond the pale to even consider these things and to come up with appropriate solutions, right? There are other forms of energy that don't require a free optic space transmission that are better for the human anatomy, right? It's just because someone saw at scale a profit opportunity, it exists. And there were obviously regulatory frameworks that didn't seem to care about the human health factor or the environmental health factor in general. And so the it, technology, because there's a lot of patents that were created and either the person disappeared or they buy it and park it, which right. because we've seen cars that run on water. I've seen ones that run on compressed air that just recirculate. So you just never need to stop. You know, And unfortunately, you see these things, you get excited and then it just you don't hear no more about it. And that's in a load of technology. You know, you see and because unfortunately, they're loyal to the dollar instead of to the planet and to each other. Right. And, you know, it's it's funny I've had the benefit of over 23 years of a humbly distinguished service in technology field. So I, my family and I have had the privilege of vacationing, 
You know, that's not for everyone. Not everyone gets that privilege. And we would go occasionally to places that are a little more lavish, like in Nassau, or we'd go to Hawaii on one of the islands. And, you know, you kind of sit around with like the, the drink with the umbrella in it. And, you know, it's a beautiful place. Maybe it's out on a beach property and you, you go to introduce the people around you. And how many people have we met in our lifetime that kind of, yeah, I made my fortune on a peanut farm, right? Or I made my fortune on, oh, it's technology, right? And and they don't really get into the detail. You just kind of know at a visceral level that some people that are profiting in the world really are fine with taking that almighty dollar, clinching to it, and not really worrying about what's going on around them at all. And, and it's no different in corporate environments. I sat there for 23 years. I've served dozens and dozens, several dozen senior executives, surely. And some have a bit of a more ethical backbone and approach that's pragmatic. Others seemingly less so, right? Just like you'd find in your neighborhood. It's no different just because they're a senior executive that their ethos is going to be any more strong than the neighbor next door who's a parishioner in a church with that cell tower next to their children in daycare. Ultimately, it comes down to an individual experience and an individual decision-making frame. But ultimately, as humanity, we owe ourselves to know what's around the corner, right? One of my favorite mentors we'll be meeting with later this week, her name is Julia Hill. She used to go by Julia Butterfly Hill, incidentally. And she used to talk about, you know, what do we want to be in our future that our ancestors will know of us today, Right. So what are we projecting in our future based on the decisions that we make every day? So do we consume <clears throat> products, beverages that have uh, potentially harmful chemicals lined in the tin cans, right? So the soda pops and so on. Uh, do we <clears throat> decide to drive uh, very high power emission engines that have a very high and, and, and toxic emission factor versus other engines that may not be as, as toxic to the environment? Are we ingesting foods that are high in fat, particularly polysaturated fats, uh, that also have potentially carcinogenic properties in them or toxic properties from bovine growth hormone, BGH, or derivative BGH injections for the producers of that food that, you know, were basically profiting themselves before it ever hit a grocery store? You know, these are all collective decisions we're making every day. And I wonder if we're really asking ourselves the right questions to be awake and to really guide ourselves with a proper light that we're making better decisions as we go along, at least that, you know. I think we have to, it's for me anyway, it's never putting trust in somebody else, some government, some institution. You have to look after yourself. And sometimes they're actually letting you know what they're doing and it's up to you to make the decision. They put it out there and... And just just finally, because I'm I'm curious about this, because I know a lot of people now are kind of really happy with Elon Musk, the Twitter, Twitter files and everything. If you look at demonic clothing he's wearing, the symbol of his uh, mother's doing, and if you look at the kind of trace the history's back, that's another story. But one thing that he's doing that nobody's kind of talking about, putting all these satellites up in the air with the, the 5G technology, which in I... turn means that you can't even go to the Amazon to get away from this. Right, right, exactly. Low orbit satellite, by the way. And I know that a lot of carriers were using that. Uh, in fact, uh, one, let's just say without naming them to 
speak unkind, they have this color logo uh, along with the color white in the United States, their major carrier. I'm sure everyone would know by name. And uh, let's just say that in places like China, uh, perhaps in places like Malaysia, just jogging my memory here, but certainly China, those low orbit satellites were the way to which they went to market. Because think about a terrestrial build in a infinite rice paddy in the 60s and 70s to which that company was gaining a very small entry level foothold in the marketplace. Do you think they want to spend the billions of dollars all over again to build in land or terrestrial technology? Of course not. Deploying a, a satellite network like this is a lot less expensive, a lot simpler process in general than trying to connect layer one, layer two services all over the place. There's no question. And then the maintenance costs on top of all that. So lower orbit satellites is another huge threat. I agree with that in, in this case, Roy. And I, I think that you know, when we look up in the sky, and I, I happen to live here in uh, outside of Boulder, Colorado, and on the Western Front Range, you can literally see one of the low overhead satellites that's there every single night. And I have no choice in that. I don't see a referendum to vote on this. I don't see any education going around with this. There are people holding signs for a million things in this country these days, yet it seems this is not one of them. And this is maybe the new uh, generation of progenitors that look at this, hopefully the younger generations, and I have three children, that will look at these issues a little differently and really call for more uh, referendums, more uh, public accountability. God knows they're probably on Snapchat and Twitter and places like that more than we'll ever be in our lives combined, Roy. But it seems like there should be some public accountability and maybe even those systems need to evolve so that it engenders more participation and more action. Absolutely, absolutely. Listen, Robbie, thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. I know we're going to have a lot more different topics. There's plenty we're going to be discussing, but you might let people know how can they get in contact with you. Absolutely. So my stage name's Robbie Phoenix. I'm with the band Sonic Octane. You can find Sonic Octane on Twitter at Sonic Band Fan. You can also find us on Facebook. Just Google Sonic Octane. And if you'd like to find me for any keynote speaking or professional event opportunities like corporate retreats, you can find me on LinkedIn. That's LinkedIn forward slash in forward slash Robert Zias. Z is in zebra, E-A-S is in Sam. Excellent. Thank you very much, Robert. I'll make sure I'll put all the links both in the audio and the video. Thank you so much, Roy. No problem. So that's all for the Awakening Podcast. You'll find all our episodes on awakeningpodcast.org. As mentioned, Ron Bitchu, this one will be okay for YouTube. I don't think they'll uh, kick me off on my personal channel and my further podcasts along with the coaching. You'll find a bio.link forward slash podcaster. Sure to give us a thumbs up, five-star rating, share with your friends. really helps. Until next week, take care.